In this series of podcasts, your legal team at Dawson Hart Solicitors will demonstrate how they provide a comprehensive legal service across a wide range of matters with their usual personal and approachable touch. We are here for your family, your business and you. Welcome to Dawson Hart. I'm Paul Harvey and welcome to the Talking Law series of podcasts with Dawson Hart Solicitors. And today we're going to be talking about lasting powers of attorney. And I'm delighted to say today I'm with Laura Manton. Laura, welcome. Thank you very much, Paul. Laura, could you tell us about, before we embark on the topic, what your role is with Dawson Hart Solicitors? Yes, of course. So I am a director at Dawson Hart Solicitors in Arkfield, and I am a member of the private client team dealing with wills, probate and private client matters, lasting powers of attorney. And I'm also the business development director there. So I have these two wonderful roles, which I enjoy immensely and uh, complement each other very well as well. Which makes you extremely busy. <laughs> it does make me very busy, but, you know, that's a really good thing. I like that. Good. Excellent. Lasting powers of attorney. Laura, please define what we should start thinking about and talking about when we bring up the subject lasting powers of attorney. Yes, when thinking and talking about what would happen if our faculties deserted us is very uncomfortable. But what I wanted to sort of make clear today that it's so important to think about what would happen if you didn't put things in place. Because if you unfortunately have a fall or you have onset dementia and you become unable of dealing with your affairs yourself, then it's a very difficult time, not only because of your, your health and your physical well-being, but also your financial affairs. Because if you haven't thought about it in advance as to who's going to deal with your paperwork, as an example, then who is actually going to deal with it and do they have authority? So that's really the main point I wanted to make today, is that the law allows you to make provision and to get ready by a document called a lasting power of attorney document. So it's a formal arrangement. And who would that be between? Exactly. It is a formal arrangement. It's a document. And there are two types of powers of attorney, which I'll t come on to in a moment. But in essence, it is a formal arrangement. So it's a document that's prepared. The one person, so in, in this case, the person that wants to make the document is called the donor. And he gives another person or people called the attorneys authority to act on their behalf and that is the document called the lasting power of attorney document and there's an absolute particular form and a number of different processes that one has to go through to get it right and to get it registered at the office of the public guardian so did it used to be called an enduring power of attorney it did actually there was a huge overhaul in the law back in 2007 when the whole law was investigated because there were aspects of the law where the person wasn't protected. So they've introduced a new lasting power of attorney. And I have to say, it's still the same process in some respects, but there are more hoops that have to go through. And actually, there's much more protection for people. Because as you can imagine, when you're appointing somebody to act for you, for your finances or your health and welfare, which I'll speak about shortly, it is a huge area of trust. And you need to have some protection. So the new form makes sure that there's somebody who actually witnesses your signature, but also is called a certificate provider. And that person is saying, yes, I know that the donor wants to go ahead with this. I believe the donor has capacity and I'm willing to sign that in this document. And that's an extra safeguard. And the other safeguard is that the document now, lasting power of attorney, can't actually be used unless it's registered at 
the Office of the Public Guardian, which is the government body that oversees all of this. Whereas under the old style enduring power of attorney, an attorney can act even if it hadn't registered at the court. So the court could never get involved if things went wrong. So there's a lot more protection and the law is a lot better now because of it. So can you describe the different types of LPAs that are available? Yes, absolutely. So there's one called the Property and Affairs. And that is probably everything as it says on the tin and it equates very much to the old style enduring power of attorney. So you would appoint your attorneys to act for you if, in two cases in this scenario, one, if yes, you know you understand and you've got mental capacity and you could deal with all your tax returns, but actually it's just become quite overwhelming. And I, I see that with clients where it just becomes too much and I might go and see them and there's a pile of paperwork. Well, I've got a pile of paperwork myself actually on my desk at home, but you know, it's just, there's so much paperwork, unopened letters and quite frankly, they just need some help with it. So your attorneys can help them in that regard and they would be able to help and step into your shoes, paying from your, obviously from your bank account, any bills, dealing with your tax, corresponding with the Department of Work and Pension. I mean, there's a very you know, long list of all things that they may well need to do. And mm. if there was a need for you to move into a, to a care home or alternative you know, residence, they will be able to sell your house. So that's it's quite far reaching. But there's a separate document, and this is very, very new since 2007, and it wasn't possible before then. You can actually appoint attorneys for your health and welfare. So they would be able to make decisions about where you live, medical decisions, all those things and they're very important yes finances of course are crucial but your well-being is just as important and it's also quite far-reaching in that if you wanted you could say I would like my attorneys to step into my shoes and make decisions about life-sustaining treatment and by that I mean as an example you might be quite unwell, but there might be a, a new drug which will be very, very beneficial for you because it might you know, aid sleep and uh, assist you greatly, but it might actually shorten your life. So your attorneys would be able to step into your shoes and say, I know exactly that you know, mum, dad would have wanted that new drug because they would have wanted to be more comfortable. And it also goes to the stage that actually they would have authority and to make decisions about the life support machine. Uh, which, of course, is a very difficult subject to even think about, but they step into your shoes to make those decisions. There is a quite a big distinction to point out here between those two documents because I mentioned to you, I think, before the property and affairs, your attorneys could act if you wanted them to, if you've got capacity, and then it endures and it lasts through incapacity, whereas health and welfare, they can only make those decisions for you if you've lost mental capacity. And of course, that's right, isn't it? You know, you would only want attorneys stepping in for your health and welfare if you couldn't make those decisions yourself. So how much control do they have over your financial affairs? Once you've signed the document, it's registered at the Court of Protection, the Office of the Public Guardian. And if we advocates, we hold on to their documents here, or obviously clients can hold them at home or wherever they feel the documents are safe. They would only be released to the attorney at the consent of the donor or if they've lost mental capacity. But once appointed, well, obviously once the attorneys are acting, it is far-reaching because they've got the power to step into your shoes. They could deal with everything that you would do yourself. So it does come back to the point of trust. Mm. It's crucial that you appoint the right attorneys, as you can imagine, because they are making decisions for you. But under the Mental Capacity Act, they must always act in your best interests. You know, they can't go above and beyond and do things for themselves. And if they did, then 
obviously somebody could report them to the Office of Public Guardian and investigations could take place. So uh, you can still guide your attorneys then? Yes, you can, because in the document there's sections where you can give your attorneys some guidance on it. We often say to clients, would you want to consider allowing your attorneys to see a copy of your will if you became unable? And the reason is for that is that if there was a particular asset or a personal item that you'd given to a beneficiary, you would want to make sure the attorneys, you know, keep that safe and it's not accidentally sold or, or given away to mm. somebody else so that it, you know your will is is you know looked at and your best interests are looked at so we recommend that and so there's lots of different guidance that you can give we advise clients to be quite cautious on restricting the document too much because we none of us know do we you don't know what your attorneys might need to do for you so the important thing is you trust them and the important things is yes you do give them guidance but actually try not to be too um, prescriptive and the other things if if you say to your attorneys you can't do this or you do that it can make things very complicated when your attorneys are trying to act for you when dealing with banks so we guide our clients quite carefully through that quite complicated process actually i was going to ask what are the kind of usps that dawson hart apply in these kind of proceedings And I think you might have touched on that. It's down to giving the right advice. Yes, definitely. These documents are really important. We know we obviously prepare wills for clients as well, which are very, very, very important. But at the end of the day, lasting powers of attorney come into place when you're alive. And therefore, we we guide and explain to clients all the options. For example, I haven't mentioned the options as to who you appoint. And Mm. I think a lot of people may assume that if you're married, that your spouse would automatically be able to you know deal with your bank accounts or your investments and if you've got investments or bank accounts in individual names then actually they can't even though you're a spouse so it can get yeah really tough for people because not only if they trying to help their their loved one through a difficult time whether it's dementia or an illness they can't actually also access their account to deal with their finances so we say to clients consider who they want to appoint so they might want to say i'm going to appoint my husband my wife support each other and then you can have replacement attorneys so you could say well i'll have my husband i'll have my wife and then if they can't act for me because they themselves are unwell or when they pass away i've got my two adult children there as a backup others say actually i'd like to have my wife but i'd actually want to have my children helping at the same time so in that situation you can appoint your attorneys joint and several and that is just a legal term which means they can all act together or they could act on their own, and that gives great flexibility. So what's important to us at Dawson Hart is to make sure we explain the options, explain what they all mean, so that all our clients can make an informed decision. That is definitely the advantage of it, because although there's a lot that people can do themselves, I think knowing your options and knowing what could go wrong and what's best for you has to be the most the beneficial thing for all our clients. In terms of the actual control that attorneys have got, they can't just give away all of your money, can they? I mean, there must be some control over what they do. You're absolutely right with that. There certainly are safeguards. They can't just give away all all of your money or sell all your property and keep the proceeds. Financial gifts are capped. So under the Mental Capacity Act and the lasting power of attorney documents, your attorneys can make gifts if you were in the habit of doing so. For example, you know, gifts for birthday to grandchildren and Christmas and, and those things. And they also would, with the right advice, be able to potentially use your inheritance tax allowance. But 
if they are considering more sizable gifts, then they must make an application to the court before they did that, because if they went above and beyond that, then they would actually be in breach of the trust under the Mental Capacity Act. So there are definite safeguards. And I think that's quite reassuring because it can be quite overwhelming thinking, well, here I am, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm dealing with everything myself and I'm going to be signing this document, which gives all these rights away. It's very overwhelming and, and a lot of people would be reluctant to do so. So it's good that they know that there are safeguards in place. The other thing is that they must take professional advice if they're going to actually invest monies for you. And I think that's also reassuring because that investment will always look at the best interest of the donor, the person making the power, not Mm -hmm. the attorney. And something I didn't mention, you talked about sort of guidance and restrictions. Mm -hmm. What we are very aware of is that quite a lot of our clients have investments with a discretionary fund manager because they don't necessarily want to deal with their shares on a a day-to-day basis. So they ask a discretionary fund manager to deal with everything and it's important that within that document it gives the extra power for your attorneys to carry on with that on on those sort of terms so there's all those sort of little intricacies that we can guide clients on to make the document you know tailored to their needs really has covid impacted on the control that you ideally put into the system i mean i'm interested to know how what effect covid may have had in the proceedings here covid has affected everybody and everything i think in some respects it's made clients even more aware that they've got to get everything in in order i think as you can say an increase in numbers of clients wanting to make wills and powers of attorney because it's become so much harder for elderly people younger people everybody to actually deal with anything so by having a a power of attorney document in place has given a lot of reassurance for a lot of our clients so that's i think is being quite a big change technology has changed the office of the public guardian are much better in and improved all their all their sort of technology bases but i would say they're incredibly busy because a lot more people are doing powers of attorney and i think from our point of view at dawson hart obviously it's changed the way we work and the, the way we've seen clients because we've been taking obviously a lot of instructions on video call but it's worked you know we've, we've managed to do that for our clients you know we used to be able to come into the office have a lovely cup of tea but we'll get back to that we you know we'll get back to you know giving the clients that service but still during this difficult time we mm. very much feel we've been there for our clients great to know and uh, i guess if we look at a few faqs so frequently asked question might be i don't like giving up control and signing the form away or signing the form now does that no. crop up? It ha- happens a lot. I do have clients who we talk about it. Perhaps they're doing their wills and they talk about lasting powers of attorney and they feel that they should, but it's not the right time for them. And then they'll come back to me. And as I said before, it's all about reassuring them. I think it's all about them knowing, number one, that they are in control of who they appoint. So if they have one of their children who might be brilliant at dealing with the finances but anything medical you know they would think it was awful having to take them to an appointment so they might appoint one of their other children for under that document you don't have to have the same attorneys because they're they're separate documents that's the number one secondly is to sort of remind them that if they don't do this and and the unfortunate does happen obviously not everybody would ever need to act under these documents but a lot of people do need some help but if they didn't have a power of attorney document then somebody would have to make an application to the court of protection to be appointed as a deputy 
or if they didn't have an enduring power of attorney either. And I can tell you that is far more stressful for everybody involved and it's a lot more complicated and expensive. And moreover, if that happens and you've lost capacity, you won't necessarily be able to say who you want your deputy to be because you've mm. lost capacity. Whereas you're so much more control with this because you're setting the terms of it. I mean, you can put a restriction in the financial power of attorney to say you only want your attorneys to act for you if you've lost mental capacity. And we have clients who feel that they want that because they don't want it. They only don't want someone to be involved if they've lost capacity. But as I said to you before, there's often this grey area before someone loses capacity that where they need some help. So, you know, we guide clients on that, really. So, yes, it's a very difficult document to sign, but there's much more safeguards now. The court protection will definitely get involved if there's any concerns that somebody's finances have been mismanaged, which they couldn't always do before. And the other thing to remember is that your attorneys must act in your best interests at all times. And it may be that they think you're making an unwise decision. But if you've got capacity and if it's a decision that you want to make and it's not necessarily going to not going to harm anybody else, but it's your decision, they should also respect that. So it's a grey area sometimes, but they always must think of you and consult you as much as possible because, you know, this is your life. These are your assets and this is your health and welfare. Their top priority has to be you. And if you happen to have an old-style enduring power of attorney, can you just change that? No, you can't change an old-style enduring power of attorney because in 2007 the law changed and enduring powers of attorney were replaced by lasting powers of attorney. So you can't actually make an enduring power of attorney document anymore. But what is important to remember is if you do have an old-style enduring power of attorney and it was signed correctly and it still meets with your wishes, so it still has the right attorneys for you, then you don't have to change it. But it doesn't allow you to have a health and welfare power of attorney. So you might want to think about having a health and welfare lasting power of attorney as well as, well. as the enduring power of attorney. Something that perhaps isn't always considered when talking about powers of attorney is that very sadly, there are a lot of people who can fall foul of financial scams and there seem to be more and more of them around. And I feel very strongly that if you have a power of attorney in place, if you have people who are trying to, to contact you, and, and a lot of the time if you seem to be on some a, a database, as I've found with some of my clients, an attorney can step in a lot quicker and put a stop to it and help you out. And that is crucial because I've had clients who've lost money to these um, situations. And if you have an attorney, they can step in, they can send off the certified copy of the power attorney and actually stop this happening. And I think that's worth everything, really, for protection for you and your family. Thank you for making that clear. So if people want to get in touch with you, the web address will be heard at the end of this podcast. If they want to email you directly, do you want to give your direct email address? Absolutely. So it's lmm at dawson-heart.co.uk. And of course, feel free to either contact me through our website or give me a call on 01825 747124. That's 01825 747124. Thank you very much, Laura. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Today, I've been talking to Laura Manton of Dawson Heart Solicitors, and this is a podcast in the Talking Law series of podcasts with Dawson Heart, and listen out for more in the series. Make Dawson Heart Solicitors your first choice for legal services on matters that affect your family, your business, and you. Welcome to Dawson Heart. For more information, go to dawson-heart.co.uk. Information in this podcast does not constitute legal advice. 
and we therefore accept no liability.